Uh, Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday mornings here for the weekly update at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Uh, it's good to be with you as always. I appreciate that. We'll speak about the uh, changes at the Conference of Presidents. We'll do that a little later on. Unfortunately, there is other news that has really dominated the uh, the Jewish globe. You know that certain, uh, ter- it's no secret, on on this 18th anniversary, August 9th, 2001, we just spoke to Arnie Roth a minute ago, uh, on this 18th anniversary of the mm-hmm. Sabaro bombing, which was, which was one of those terrorist attacks that really pierced the collective Jewish heart uh, because of the circumstances, because of the uh, location, and of course because five family members from one family were murdered uh, together in that attack. And anybody who remembers the Sabaro bombing knows what I'm referring to. Uh, this week's attack and murder of Devere Sorek, I think, was another one of those episodes that really uh, brought together uh, the collective pain of the Jewish world uh, because of the nature of it, because of where it happened, and uh, uh, and be- because of the uh, nature of who he was, a 19-year-old who was described with all the incredible accolades that, in fact, uh, that in fact he was. We spoke to Rabbi Brander of Artur Stone yesterday. He was describing the whole thing for us. Um, what what do we know about this? There's speculation it was a botched abduction. There's uh, other speculation about what this attack was all about. Is this simply another uh, random terrorist attack? And, you know, we have to remember that this is what happens sometimes. He was alone. He was coming back from Banks Farm in, in Jerusalem. He um, clearly is uh, an innocent uh, in every definition uh, of the word. And the the fact that the... Um, it comes so close to the Sabaro uh, anniversary and the Hebrew University attack anniversary. One of the things that has come out is that the, the Sabaro killers have received almost a million dollars in the pay-to-slay since the, uh, their arrest and, and incarceration after the killing, what, eight children and, and, and many adults and wounding even more. And in, at Hebrew University, where they've gotten $1.25 million wow. since carrying it out, and that the PA continues to provide these funds, which are incentivizing and which um, are, are, are an incitement to young people, to others, to kill and to reward them for, uh, for carrying it out, let alone honoring the martyrs and establishing this, this, the, the president. <laughs> of naming buildings and places and doing everything to pay tribute to them. And Abbas, confronted by the loss of funds for his people, doesn't care. And it shows once again, <coughs> sorry, sure. that it is not the, the needs of the Palestinian people that motivate them, but their, their hatred of Israel, the war against Israel. When during the Syrian civil war, it's come out, Israel had okayed and, and, and uh, that Palestinians who were caught in the middle of the fighting could come into the areas under PA control. And he refused. He said the law of return is only for Israel. It's only returning to Israel. And they're not coming back here. And shows, shows in the hypocrisy of the media and the distortions and misrepresentations, it's just, it's, it's so outrageous. And the, the, um, the fact that, that half the people want to emigrate as, uh, and that the dissatisfaction expressed by people on, in, on the West Bank, etc., uh, uh, shows that they get it, but they can't rise up against this dictatorship. 
The murderer of Dvir Sorek has not yet been apprehended, but the prime minister guarantees that he will be, right? And they always guarantee that they, they will be. Um, and, you know, by the way, the PA has increased by 12% in this budget the amount of money they paid to these terrorists, and yet they cut the salary of their security forces in half, half which is why they have no motivation, why Israeli security views that they're, that they're doing much less. And, uh, and at the same time, they extol the hate. You know, they keep talking about the hatred of Israel and building in this message. So they, you know, this is, these are all disincentives to the security forces to, to do their job. The continuation of the uh, security cooperation, um, you know, is really put into question then. And he, uh, he well, one second, on security cooperation, the, the head of the PA actually suggested that there would be no cooperation at some point, right? Right. Yeah. But he, it, look, this protects him as much as it does Israel. So it's it's a bit of you know it's a bit of a sham. But we're we're, we're seeing you know over and over again in every respect. We, there were reports this week that Iran is increasing the monthly supplement they give to the Hamas. They have no money. Right. The, the, the proof in one second. But they're increasing it to $30 million a month. It's now about $6 million a month. The same time Hezbollah is screaming that they're not getting the money they need and to pay for all their activities, not just against Israel, although they are stepping up their activities in north, fortifying the villages in, in, in southern Lebanon, expanding their activities near the Golan. But Iran wants the third front, this meaning the Lebanon, Syria, and then Gaza, the third front against Israel, uh, to be active and to provide them with information on Israel's own missile capacity and uh, the flights, the um, intelligence about it, and they say that they will get the $30 million a month for that. Um, uh, it's, you know, every front that you look at where you see how the money is being diverted from the people, 30,000 people left this year so far from, from Gaza, and there's a cap of 300 a month that Egypt lets leave, but they're leaving. And they and many of them, many of the doctors, lawyers, the professionals don't come back because of it. And Iran has the same attitude towards its people. Mm-hmm. You know that they they changed the name of their currency from the real to the toman, and they cut off four zeros. Right. He told us this last week. It's amazing. Four <laughs> zeros. Now, where this week? How many stories did you see? And you want to hear an amazing statistic? The birth rate in Iran is dropping precipitously, about 100,000 less births a year over years. This year it's already down 13%. The average family is 3.2 people. In 1980 it was 5.1 people. And the percentage of people under 15, for instance, is down about 15% from 10 years ago, 12 years ago. It's amazing, and, and yet none of this, bothers the leadership. I'm sure that internally they, they talk about it because they're not going to have young people and people, period. But the, you know, it's also a statement of lack of confidence in the governments. It's a statement. And, and the world focuses and criticizes constantly Israel, which is supporting and trying to help and that wants to build hospitals and provide medical care and do all these other things for them. And yet you see the, the, uh, the lack of regard for their own people from these dictators. So they have no other interest but to spend their money on on terror and military. That's basically it. They'll they'll keep investing in that no matter how many uh, how many impoverished people they have in their country. They are, for instance Iran today when you have widespread economic dislocation the 
the, through the sanctions, which are really working and doing a great job. And Zarif, you know, keeps mocking the foreign minister who's come under personal sanctions, mocking it and saying he doesn't own anything in America, but he's squealing like, you know, it's not big now everywhere. And so are other officials about Zarif being um, uh, sanctioned. Uh, if he didn't care, so why why is he making such a big deal? And it's even one of the preconditions for negotiations, which they claim America wants. Um, and we have seen some changes that we should talk about in terms of the UAE and others signing deals with the um, with the Coast Guard of, of Iran, uh, security deals and, and other reports of talks that are, are, are underway or proposed. And the Iranians keep saying the Americans want them to talk, and Zarif was told he would, if he didn't come to Washington for meetings, then he would get sanctioned. I don't know if, if it's true, but it's something that... that, is, that um, is that unprecedented by the UAE? That is, this is unprecedented, and, and and unfortunately, it may reflect a split with Saudi. Because I, I, I and I still you know, every week I think you pick it up in my voice. I'm so confused with the whole Russia situation, but now I saw that they are starting joint naval exercises with Iran. They will do it at the end before the end of the year, and it's counter the British U.S. But it's also a chance yeah, for them to show the flag in a very cheap way to 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 project their presence, their power in the Mediterranean, in the Middle East. Um, but what did they have in the Mediterranean with their activities in, in, in Syria with minimal investment, and now they take advantage of the situation and are talking about doing these joint naval exercises uh, with Iran, and they have plenty of problems with Iran. But as long well, as against the U.S. Not... and against the, and it asserts their uh, their image, they but, continue to do it. But and why the... would I think? And and I, I, I why would I think, or the average guy think? that it would be in Russia's interest to team up with the U.K. and the U.S. to control the Mediterranean against Iran. I, I just, why do I think that? It's the Persian Gulf but, and against uh, Iran. And, I mean the Persian and, Gulf. And, yes, the, you would logically say that, it, that they have had long-time problems with, the, with Iran. And their, the, you know, they, the first U.N. Security Council resolution passed when the U.N. was created in '45 was against Russia's occupation of Iran following World War II, the Britain and the Russians had occupied uh, half, each half of uh, Iran, and, and the Brits pulled out, and <laughs> the Iranians decided that they were just going to they were going to stay. Um, so you would think that that it would be in their interest, but right, right now they will do anything that is counter to the U.S. and counter U.S. interests, and they think the U.S. is being provocative in some instances, and then the the. Um, and this need to show the flag and to show that they're still a global power, even though their economy is in ruins, Russia's as well, and that the you know that it has an economy the size of Italy, um, and if oil you know doesn't go up to a hundred dollars a barrel again, they they will continue to suffer because they were the major exporters of oil in the world. In light of the uh, in light of the terror attack this week. Uh, what do you say to those who, who often try to tie the timing of terror attacks with Israeli elections? There's never a time when they're not trying to carry out terror attacks. If you knew how many there are prevented had how successful Israeli intelligence, you know if there's a failure in intelligence or something they didn't catch or didn't have a way to know. But the the fact is that it's it's miraculous 
how many they, they uh, have, are able to prevent, that it's ongoing, regardless of whether there are elections or no elections. Maybe it's an additional incentive if they're trying to influence the outcome, but the, the, they're, they're trying the attacks all the time. The U.N. has condemned Israel's building approvals. Israel's Civil Administration Subcommittee gave preliminary approval for over 1,400 homes and final approval for another 838 homes uh, in the uh, Jerusalem area, Judea and Samaria area, on uh, on Monday and Tuesday of this week. I assume even with the condemnation, that building is going to continue. Yeah, but they don't write that they gave him the 800 units to the Palestinians to, to build and that uh, all of the construction, illegal construction that's going on by the Palestinians of thousands of units and the, um, that, that construction, yes, I believe will go ahead. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Reminder, this coming Sunday is Tishabov. Our program starts at 9.15 after JM Sunday. Matis is on between 7 and 9. At 9.15, five presentations of Kinnis live from the New Springville Jewish Center on Staten Island and two presentations with thoughts about Tishabov. That'll wrap up at 2 o'clock. And then don't forget, at 7 p.m., You'll have an opportunity to close the fast between 7 and 9 with NCSY Colel as we broadcast their final uh, hours from uh, the Kotel uh, that will have taken place already toward the end of their Tisha B'Av in Yerushalayim. So, I mean, the election news, I guess the only uh, the only um, a noteworthy thing this week is that the prime minister is guaranteeing no unity government, which, of course, could change the moment the polls close, right? <laughs> That uh, <laughs> there are still switches in a lot of recriminations, but it'll only intensify as we get closer to the election. Uh, right now, I think this week the focus will be on American politics because 41 Democratic members of the House, freshman members, are coming to Israel, led by Steny Hoyer, the majority leader, and then going to be followed immediately thereafter by almost an equal group of Republican freshmen, led by um, McCarthy, the minority leader. And um, so I think that, and then it's going to be followed by uh, Omar Tlaib coming to visit Palestine, not Israel. And I'm um, sure that the media is going to make a circus out of that. I would hope that they w- would ignore it and ha- let them talk about the things we just discussed, the, the real conditions on the ground and who's responsible for this. You know, you saw this story about, um, I think it was a JC group that was, taken on a tour, and it was publicized about, uh, you know, visiting in Hebron and talking about this area, which they said was abandoned, and it was a business center, and it turned out that the business center moved about five minutes away oh, into these fancy new buildings and everything, and yet they, they propagandized, and everybody was, was, you know, so upset about what they saw as, as you know, Israel, and then nothing was not because of Israel. And they had this modern new center built where they have uh, the businesses, and Hebron is actually an area with, I think, 17,000 Arab businesses and, and manufacturing places. Uh, I mean, the distortions and misrepresentations just defy description and, and imagination. And you can either blow the top of your head off or you just keep fighting and trying to get the message out. Who takes the 41 freshman Democratic Congress members around Israel? Uh, they do. And this is an annual 
uh, ritual now for the for freshman classes. Uh, the numbers, you know, vary every year, but it's it's done in conjunction with the um, APAC Educational Fund, and it's, um, you know it's a great opportunity because many of these people, many members of Congress, and people don't know, have never don't even have passports before they got elected. They've yeah. never traveled abroad, so for many of them, this is a chance to see the truth. And I think that's Israel, always Israel's uh, strongest weapon. And at a time when they will be facing more and more issues, which hopefully they'll get briefed about, the resurgence of ISIS in Iraq and Syria, at least 18,000 active fighters, the assassinations and, and suicide bombings that are escalating by them, and, the, and, and targeting U.S. forces who are trying to counter them in, in both countries and facing the challenge uh, of them, uh, 1,200 going back to Europe, hundreds have gone to Southeast Asia, and now in Africa we see um, a big expansion of, uh, of ISIS, that we see Iran's uh, role and, and further investments, both with Hamas and expanding the, the um, and the tensions escalating, even against Russian bases carried out by forces in Syria, and then they go on a military exercise which has killed hundreds and uh, 10,000 or more and made homeless uh, as a result of it. But again, something people rarely hear, and the heating up with Turkey on the border with the US, agreement with the U.S. to create that safe zone, which may have forestalled uh, a full in, uh, invasion and occupation by uh, Turkey of a very large uh, part and going after the PKK, the Kurds, um, which they're still very devoted to doing. So the congressmen have to come there and see the, the true reality of, of what is happening on the ground with, the, with what Israel faces on the three borders that I, I mentioned uh, earlier uh, from Iran and from the uh, other forces and why Israel's role, and it's come out that Israel is helping the U.S.-British task force in the Gulf, and while they don't patrol, um, their intelligence and they say other areas, according to the foreign minister, uh, other areas in which they have been uh, of, of assistance to them. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, as you are saying this, I'm reading the article about the opposition, about those who are trying to dissuade these freshman members of Congress from going. Uh, I, I would assume, based on the numbers, that that was not a successful effort, right? right. And well, also you know, in the uh, you know, and, and and of course there are objections that APEC sponsors it. But I also see that they are they are meeting with Abbas. It's not like they're not, you know. Of course, they no, give him a full picture. Yeah, there's no, nothing to hide. Let him go and and see Abbas. Ask him why he's paying for the murder of all these people, and and his associations. But um, the, the 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 trips are, are are meant to be an opportunity to see the reality on the ground. It would not have credibility if they didn't. You know, offering them the opportunity to to see it, to see all sides, and to see the what's really happening. Yeah, I got that. Um, I, I know this is a domestic issue, but I just have to reiterate: uh, after what we saw this past weekend, it, it would be completely irresponsible. I know you always make this point, but it's never made enough. Uh, it would be completely irresponsible for synagogue leaders not to be thinking very seriously right now about the high holidays and about. Uh, uh, you know, and, and the entire month of holidays that are upcoming because uh, we, we see what's going on now. And uh, and if one's synagogue is not prepared uh, with, with the phones and, you know, with, with the working phones near the rabbi and all the other 
you know, different precautions that need to be taken, then it's, it's completely irresponsible of uh, both rabbinic and synagogue leadership. And I'm sure that was one of the first things you thought of when you heard about what happened this past weekend here. Uh, of course, and we, we want to see much more done. This is the time to do it before schools start, before, uh, you know, the people come back and, and then everybody gets diverted into other things. That the, um, you know, we saw the statistics from Britain where there was, you know, a record, uh, again, 892 attacks against Jews and uh, a 10% increase in the first half of this year. And, and this is not, you know, verbal. This is talking about uh, physical assaults and, and objects thrown and uh, other things. And, and this is only those the numbers that are reported and recorded. So we have numbers in the United States that echo that kind of increase, and we've already seen uh, some uh, university problems emerging. People have to learn to report. People have to press the police to, to identify this hate crimes. People have to take the, pre- the basic preventative steps, as you said, with a phone, with training people, with uh, making sure the doors, escape doors are open and working which is, frankly, and people might think it's fundamental, but it's not the case. And it wasn't the case in the Pittsburgh synagogue, but they did an exercise a couple weeks before, and because of that, they were able to lead a lot of the people out through that exit down into the basement and out. Uh, That door had not been working before. So there's a lot of steps people can take and and measures that they should take, especially about entry and about uh, we don't want to restrict our institutions. We don't want our schools to be hard to get into and unwelcoming, but at the same time, we have to use common sense. And if they want, they can call SCAN and the Secure Community Network, scnus.org, and get information. And, and there's a lot of stuff online for them as well. If you wonder if our listeners are paying attention, someone points out that, in fact, the Iran crisis resolution was the second resolution in the history of the United Nations, <laughs> that apparently it was the first resolution that actually was voted on, that the first resolution before that was to establish a military staff committee, but that had no vote. So when you said it was the first, you meant the first that actually came to a vote in the U.N. Nitpickers. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> I don't well, know. it was still the first vote. <laughs> exactly. It's the court of U.N. records, it's the first vote. I think that's hilarious. Uh, Jonathan Pollard, we know how the president uh, has been regarding Israel issues. We know how he's been with the embassy. We know how he's been with, with statements that go on, et cetera, et cetera. I, is it more likely now, especially with Pollard pleading uh, for, the, um, uh, for his parole to be lifted, is it possible the president will act? I would certainly hope so. He's talking about uh, Governor Bogdanovich and others getting pardons or oh, that's considering right. pardons. Right. Now that uh, Jonathan has made his personal plea and, and many uh, pleas on his behalf, which so far have not been heard, it's ridiculous that he is living under, with such restrictions and with the illness of his wife right. um, and that she has, she has cancer and that it may be advanced that uh, he has let him live his life and their lives together. Uh, he, he can't go with her for treatments and, and all the fundamental things in life that they should do. And the fact that he can't finally go to Israel and live a quiet life, you see that he's not grandstanding. He's not looking to, to make himself a martyr. He has lived up to the conditions that have been talked about till now. Um, I hope that they will, that the president will... will Granted, 
Amen to that. Um, the reason that Iran does not want to share its oil data, I assume, is because they don't want the U.S. to see just how strongly their sanctions are working. Would that be the right assumption? Yeah. Well, we, we believe that this, the exports are down to 100,000 barrels a day. They, they will admit it. Um, there's also a, you know, a lot of smuggling going on, but they, they, they seized a, a, a tanker, which they claim was smuggling oil from them, uh, over the last few days, but the the uh, fact is that the the refineries, et cetera, are not working, and 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 the um, sanctions have impacted it. There there are twelve tankers sitting in a port in China, uh, and they don't want to pass some customs because then the sanctions apply. As long as they're not taken as uh, into possession, of full possession, then it doesn't apply. But we see that the, the that the, all the promises of the Brits, et cetera, that they were going to, you know, make it up and that they were going to establish an alternative to the SWIFT banking system, et cetera, et cetera. None of it is really coming to to much. And and you see Britain recognizing the threat of Iran by the joint patrol by the after the seizure of of their tanker, and uh, all these issues still remain uh, unresolved. So it's it's. Um, and the, 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 their failure to be transparent is not surprising at all. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, Malcolm, everybody wants to know about the changes in the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. What do you know about incoming CEO William Daroff? I haven't heard about this. So, <laughs> so um, as you know, a year ago, I asked that a, a transition process be put in place. I'm not leaving the conference. I'm going to be there. I'll remain the executive vice chairman, but I'm not going to be the CEO. I want to be able to do other things, and the day-to-day um, responsibilities prevented. And one of the big focus, as you know, I, uh, we recently did a big conference, and they're planning both an international and national movements to, to fight anti-Semitism. So uh, William Daroff, who has worked in Washington for the last uh, decade or more, for the Jewish Federation of North America as the Washington representative will come in next year in 2020 um, and take over the, the CEO responsibilities, and I will be there as well as be doing some other things. Uh, but I'll still remain here with you every Friday morning and uh, as active as ever, but I want to use my energies in, a, in more directed in, in what I think are priority ro- roles. And I will, as I said, be taking on some new responsibilities. And I've gotten some really nice offers, and um, though I have to choose and define it as I remain uh, at the conference um, for a good part of the time. Well, I knew we were safe. You know, there was a panic among some listeners a year ago when you made your announcement, but I knew we were safe as soon as I read that you'll be remaining for special projects. And I said, oh, what could be more of a special project than us right here every Friday? <laughs> well, you're one of the special projects. That, uh, I, 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 I use that language because I want to give uh, William uh, every chance to succeed, and he will, I have no doubt. Um, I think the role of conference is important as ever, and that uh, it'll take him a year or two to, to really get into the, he, although he knows the conference from having been involved, but to learn all the intricacies, all the things we do every day. That, and the fact is that 90% of what we do, 95%, is not publicized and not public. Um, we didn't do enough of that, I guess. But, the, um, uh, you know, it's coming in at a good time for, for 
transition and I, and I really tried it just to be responsible and, and to see to it that there would be an orderly transition in which I could play a role as seen too many organizations where such circumstances, especially after I've been there for 34 years, that um, you know there, there are sharp breaks or, or unsuccessful transitions, and we want to make sure it's successful. Uh, well, we've had him on the air at, uh, at different times, and we are extremely impressed with the uh, with the choice. Frankly, uh, I didn't realize that the uh, you know the conference was going in a certain direction, whatever that means. And uh, we were very, I was really really happy with the choice. I think he's a really nice guy and uh, somebody who's uh, um, very dedicated to Jewish leadership and the Jewish community in general. So he's got my endorsement. I'm sure that makes you uh, sleep better at night. No doubt about that. Your hechsher carries a lot of weight. There you go. Come on. I had a feeling you'd react <laughs> I'm that way. they didn't consult you. you know? and by the way, I'm shocked that you know you had a whole search. Never once was I called. But all right. <laughs> uh, so now we stand at Erev Tishabov, and I'm telling you, there's something I know that you know this is for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, the most depressing day upcoming of the year. I get the whole thing, but there is something when I read the statistics about the number of people around the world who are traveling to Israel when I am planning now, as you know, for the seventh time to make fake Aliyah and join hundreds of people who are going with Nefesh Benefesh is coming Tuesday. Uh, Malcolm, I think I know, and I know the requirements. Believe me, I know. I'm very familiar with the requirements for this coming Sunday that we must do. But it, but we also have to acknowledge this is a different era. And 100 years ago and 200 years ago and 1,000 years ago, conditions were much different for the Jewish community overall. And I was hoping that you, in these final moments, with your message about the upcoming Tisha B'Av, uh, would be able to expand on that and tell us how lucky we are to be living through the times that we're in. Well, I try to convey that message every week, even though we talk about the challenges and the, and the negatives, to think that, that we have the ability to go to the Kotel, to, the, to, to stand at Tarabayat, to, to be able to... Um, and, and have the freedom and all of the discoveries, even in the last few weeks, of related to Yerushalayim, related to the history of the Jewish people, from finding Gath, where uh, Goliath came from, and the place where, where we believe that they fought, but also the, the towers every day, every day as the excavation season sort of comes to an end, the archaeological seasons, and they... The, the revelations are so unbelievable at a time when the world is still trying to take Yerushalayim away. If you take it for granted, if you think that just because we have access to it, you don't go there and say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thank you for this, that what our grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents for 2,000 years didn't have, and that we take for granted, and he constantly is sending us messages that every time that shovel goes underground, that your David, the tunnels, the, every place throughout Israel, and so many amazing things are, are being uncovered. And it's too much to even document. I think there are 20,000 objects found every year Wow! in these archaeological digs, and every one of them consistent with Tanakh. And, and we should think about how many opportunities to rebuild the Beis Hamikdash were lost because that Sinach Hinam continues, because of the internal divisiveness, because of the infighting, because we're, when we're not united, we prevent the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash and this, that people not take it for granted. I begged the people, I spoke to the leading Rosh Hashiva about this, you know, why that we don't teach in yeshivas about these amazing discoveries that if, they, if people 
if you want the kids to believe and to, to see it, you can't argue with a rock. You can't argue with a becca, the, the, the weight that they found, which says becca on it, which was used to, to the way they have shekel. The, the other discoveries, now that you can walk on the road all the way from Meshiloach, as the people did when they were Ola Rego 2,000 years ago and more, the discoveries going back even even longer, as I said, to, to the time of David and Malach and, and a lot of things that people used to paint as mythology, all of a sudden we see more and more evidence coming up which demonstrates that there was a kingdom of David and that uh, that all of the stories that, uh, you know, sometimes people would say, well, we don't have archaeological proof of it, all of a sudden we do, and it doesn't create the kind of excitement and appreciation in that. Tisha B'Av should be a day of mourning. We mourn the losses, but we should also take show Akar Satov and say, how do we make sure that next year when we come together, we will know that we have helped rebuild it and that we have reached out, that we make sure that Harazetim is is secure, that people help the efforts which are coming here from America, from the International Committee, to make sure that all of the, the places that are so critical, because Mashiach is supposed to come through Harazetim and I really believe in the man of olives, that he would have come there and seen the conditions and said, this is how you took care of it, and turn around. But now, I think because of those efforts, and hopefully people will continue to support that and many other things, to bring home the message and teach the kids about it. Take the time to teach the kids, because you won't have to worry about their belief in their muna if, if you show them the concrete proof. And I want to add that if, uh, if in fact, the, the ultimate uh, dream was to see Jerusalem become the center of the world, these numbers of people who are coming from everywhere on the globe to visit, to, you know, to be in Jerusalem and the rest of Israel for as long as possible and make it their business from all backgrounds and all religions, make it their Did you read that article that uh, um, how, how everybody in the, uh, in the Arab countries, this woman who came from Syria— Everybody, how she said, every single person in the Arab countries would love to spend some time in Israel. From Saudi Arabia. From Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I apologize, Saudi Arabia. I mean, you know, we have to think about what what those who are who are not in who are not Jewish are saying about Jerusalem and are saying about Israel. We should have the same passion that they have. And look at the number of Christians or Jews who come to visit Israel. Yeah. And and uh, 150,000 Chinese, 100,000 Indians. I mean, the numbers are st- and the statistics are amazing, but. But, you know, the, the, some of the numbers still about the percentage who have visited from America, et cetera, um, birthright has helped it. But it, it has to be a sustained educational and ongoing effort and connection, and hopefully that we will see that this year. Wish you an easy fast. We'll speak, please, God, next week. Be well. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations.